Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. It's where we pick up our Bible study this morning. Matthew chapter 24. And we pick up the reading in verse 27. Matthew chapter 24, starting verse 27. Jesus says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And when he sends his angels with a, sound, a, a great sound of a trumpet, uh, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So we've been uh, looking at the teaching uh, given by Jesus to his disciples. It's called the uh, Olivet Discourse. It's called that because he gave it while uh, being there on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And we've been in it now for a few weeks. And if you've missed any of the last studies, last few teachings, I encourage you, uh, go to the website and get caught up. You know, Matthew 24 and 25 are the two chapters that make up the Olivet Discourse. And it should be something that each of us uh, have a really good understanding of. It's, it's important for our Christianity. In the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gave the signs that would precede his coming. The disciples asked him, hey, when will these things take place and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus began to tell the disciples what the days would look like prior to his coming. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come claiming to be the Christ. And they're going to come claiming that they're the only way to God and they're going to deceive many people. And Jesus said that in the last days, there, there would be widespread spiritual deception that would escalate, you know, in a greater and greater way prior to his return. Jesus went on to say there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nations are going to rise up against nations and even factions within nations will rise up. And Jesus said, you're going to see all these things increasing more and more just prior to my coming. He he also said there would be an increase in famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And as we study these verses, we realize, you know, hey, we're living in interesting times. You know, I think as we turn the news on, you go to the, the cable news network, you turn it on and you get a, a news alert on your phone. You know, all of it should grab our attention because it's just like reading Matthew 24. Jesus said, all these things are the beginning of the sorrows. You know, all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Just like a woman, you know, when she's in labor, you see those, those uh, labor pains increasing intensity and increasing in frequency. You know, as a woman, you know, her labor pains grow stronger and stronger and they come closer and closer together. You know, everybody knows, hey, that, bi that baby is coming. He's about to be birthed. And Jesus said, you're going to see these things increasing. 
are going to be coming with greater frequency and greater magnitude, you know, until the church is raptured and caught up into heaven. Then immediately after the rapture of the church, the tribulation period is going to come. Matthew 24, verses 9 through 26. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. This seven-year period immediately following the rapture of the church where God will pour out His wrath, where God is going to vent His righteous indignation on a Christ-rejecting world. And this seven-year period of tribulation is also known as Daniel's 70th week. And again, we looked at that in depth a few weeks ago. In the middle of that week, you know, the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to commit that, that, that event that's called the abomination of desolation. It's where the Antichrist uh, is going to go into the Holy of Holies of a yet future temple and declare himself to be God, and he's going to demand inhabitants of the earth. He's going to demand that uh, they worship him as God. And this will bring uh, the abomination that literally brings desolation, right? It brings destruction down upon uh, the planet Earth. And God is going to vent his wrath in such a way. Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 21, there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now, Beginning in verse 27, we pick up the story. We have uh, what's known as the second coming. And today, I'd like to talk about the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. I think a lot of people, you know, have these two uh, events confused in their minds. They don't understand the rapture of the church, which, which uh, occurs immediately uh, before the tribulation, you know, they have that confused with the second coming of Christ, which happens at the end of the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation. You know, they, they're confused. And they, they don't understand that these are entirely two, entirely different events. So we're going to talk about these two different events this morning. To start, I want you to see that the second coming of Christ is going to be a visible coming. Everybody in the entire world, the whole world will see Jesus when he comes again. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, it's going to be something that everyone sees. And again, look down a little bit further. Look at verse 30. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then... All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The second coming is something that all the tribes of the earth are going to see. Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. So the first thing uh, we want to notice this morning is that the second coming is going to be a visible event that the whole world is going to see. Every eye is going to see it. On the other hand, though, the rapture is not going to be a visible event that everyone was, will see. The rapture will be a secret snatching away of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
First Thessalonians 5.2 says, and I hope you're taking notes so you can refer back to these things and check these things out for yourselves, right? But First Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Jesus, Jesus is coming, is going to be uh, likened to a thief coming at night. You know, it's a reference to the rapture of the church here. Now, now again, let me just ask you, how does a thief come? You know, does he announce his coming? Does he take an ad? Hey, you know, I'm going to visit, uh, you know, the, the Kent's house this Thursday at 8.30 p.m. I hope they're not home. You know, no. You know, they come secretly. He comes with, he comes with stealth, you know, when you're not expecting him to come. Now look down a little further in Matthew uh, 24. Look at verses 40 through 44. It says, Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also... Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. The difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The whole world will see Jesus coming at his second coming, but the rapture, on the other hand, will be a secret catching away, a snatching away of believers only. Two men will be walking through the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. You know, uh, two women will be working. They're grinding flour. One will be taken. The other will be left. The Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. It's at a time uh, when you do not expect. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder, how is the world going to explain the disappearance of Christians when it happens? You know, I, I looked on the Internet this morning. As of January 1, 2022, there are, 332,403,650 people in the United States. You know, a conservative estimate is 15% of the population in the United States is truly Bible-believing, born-again Christians. So that when the rapture comes, it's going to be just shy of 50 million people that will disappear in an instant. You know, there are as many, it's estimated, as two billion people on planet Earth that identify themselves as Christian. You know, even if 50% of that two billion is truly born-again, Bible-believing Christian, you know, that's a billion people worldwide that's going to disappear in an instant when the rapture happens. You know, how is the world going to explain what happened, you know, when so many people just disappear? What are they going to say? Well, you know, we've been talking about the New Age uh, movement. A few weeks ago, we talked about it. It's something that's become increasingly popular. You know, it's something that's uh, gained a footing, especially here in the West, where spirituality has become something that's very attractive to many people. No, no, not the spirituality uh, that comes uh, from, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, the spirituality that's found in Jesus Christ. You know, that's too puritanical. That's too old-fashioned. That's just going backwards, right? They'd say, we need to find Christ in all of us. You know, we need to, to open up to the spirituality that's present within. 
We need to explore the realm that is beyond where spiritual people, we're spiritual people, therefore we, we uh, need to travel beyond ourselves. We need to learn to tap into the powers that are all around us in the universe. You know, our family, we used to uh, live in Oregon, and I love Oregon. I love living there. I love going back there. When, when we go into Oregon, it's like a breath of fresh air. For us, uh, Oregon is our home in the States. You know, in fact, Tina and I, we just drove. I went and got Tina in Washington. And last Friday, we were driving back through Oregon, and we're just drinking in the beauty of that state. We love it. But it seems to me like there's a lot of tree-hugging, granola-eating people, hippies in Oregon. And, and uh, believe me when I say I say that with, from a heart of love because I really do love the people of Oregon. I, I do really love Oregon. But I remember years ago when we lived there, there was a bumper sticker running around that said, have you hugged your mother today? And then there's a picture of the earth. Have you hugged Mother Earth is what it's saying, right? What's interesting is the teaching within the New Age movement is that Mother Earth is a spiritual entity, right? She's actually alive. In an article from thriveglobal.com regarding our relationship with Mother Earth, I read, Mother Earth is a part of a much larger celestial entity called Gaia, which is uh, as alive as we are. Another New Age master writes, the planet is a living, breathing entity. It is an ancient and, in comparison with man, very advanced entity. It's a female entity. You know, the New Age movement teaches that Mother Earth is a spiritual being, and every so many hundreds of thousands of years, Mother Earth purges herself of all the impurities that exist upon her. She basically excretes all the impurities out of her. And I think it's interesting, in light of the rapture, who the world thinks the impurities are. You know what? Who said it? Yeah, you know what? One of many examples, NBC News published an article that caught my eye, July 27, 2020. The title of the article was Racism Amongst White Christians is higher than among the non-religious. That's no coincidence. That was the title. You know, you see, the problem in the world is Christians. Christians are the problem. You know, Christians aren't willing to go along with the flow. You know, they stand in the way of this new morality. You know, they're the ones that are keeping us back from the age of Aquarius. They're the ones that are standing in opposition to a new world order. And the world one day will cleanse herself of the impurities that exist upon her. Right? I think it's also interesting. Again, this is my opinion, but you know, I think it's also interesting what seems to me to be an increasing uh, obsession, fascination with UFOs. You know, we don't call them UFOs anymore. I don't know if you know there's a new term for UFOs. It's UAPs. It's uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. But it's interesting to me that there's been a noticeable rise in UFO sightings and, and abductions over the course of our lifetime. But I think especially within the last 20 or 30 years or so, you know, you can't go into a grocery store and, and not notice that there's always some front page ad, you know, regarding a UFO sighting or, or abduction right there as you're checking out. You might be thinking, okay, Gary, now you're going too far. Now it's just 
Everyone knows those tabloid stories. They're not true, you know. And, and I agree with you, they're not. But now there's all kinds of television programs, too, you know, about UFOs and UFO sightings. You know, and if you're interested, in my opinion, you know, I personally believe that there are many genuine UFO sightings around the world. But I haven't seen anything that would make me believe that they're coming from another planet or another galaxy or whatever. You know, I think personally, again, my opinion, I think it's part of a demonic deception that's going on. I think aliens may be the one way the world is going to try to explain what happens when the church is raptured. I don't know, you remember that movie a long time ago, Cocoon? You know, I think it was 1985. And all these old people, you know, they're swimming in the pool with these cocoons. They're getting all young and stuff like that. And they just want to go be with the aliens. You know, E.T. is coming back, you know. Uh, is it Richard Dreyfus and uh, Encounter of the Third Kind? I want to go, you know. Beep, 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 beep. Whatever, I don't know. Uh, anyway, on a serious note, though, I also believe that there are others that will realize that all that they were taught, everything they heard from Christians that had been witnessing to them about the rapture, you know, when, when it occurs, they'll understand that the rapture is real. And they'll turn to the Lord, realizing what the Bible says had actually happened. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how sorrowful those people will be in that day. What a sobering thought that is. You know, I, I think there will be people in that day who realize that, you know, they've just been playing a game with the Lord. They put on the Christian face uh, for Sundays, you know, but never really knew the Lord, never really followed after Him, given his, their lives to Him. And then I, I think, to think that, uh, you know, that they'll be left behind. I mean, to me, it's just so sobering. I mean, just imagine what that would be like to be left behind. You know, sometimes we joke about it. You know, I've heard lots of stories from people, you know, they're going someplace to meet their friends, and when they got there, they didn't see their friends, and they said jokingly that they thought they'd missed the rapture. I think it's not going to be something that anybody's going to joke about, though. You know, when, when they understand that they actually missed the rapture of the church. The second coming is going to be a visible event that the whole world is going to see where the rapture is going to be a secret snatching away. The second thing I want you to see is at the second coming, Jesus is coming in judgment with this church. Look at verse uh, 28, Matthew 24, 28. For where the, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This is a figure of a speech that carries with it the idea when judgment is ripe, it will certainly come. You know, it's a, it's a phrase that speaks of judgment, carcasses, and eagles feeding on their flesh. Okay, this is a reference to Revelation 19. So keep your finger here in Matthew 24 and turn with me to Revelation 19. You know, in Revelation 19, we see the second coming and the specific event that leads up to the second coming. It's the Battle of Armageddon which is going to precede the coming of our Lord when he comes in judgment with his church. So chapter 19, Revelation 19, 
starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is obviously the Lord. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's a reference to us. That's the church. It's very clear, right? No other group in Scripture is clothed in fine white linen but the church. The church has been justified by, by placing your faith in Christ. God declares uh, that you're not guilty. You've been justified in Christ. And now God sees you as righteous, right? We see here the Lord is returning and the army is returning with him clothed in fine white linen. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And here we have just this graphic picture uh, of judgment. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Uh, we see here his judgments compared to the crushing of a wine press. Verse 16, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, uh, speaking of the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds filled with their flesh. Now turn back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 28. Matthew 24, verse 28. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Again, this is a reference to the second coming. When Jesus uh, is going to come with his church in judgment. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from his glory, the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says, in that day, Jesus is going to come in judgment. And it says it very clearly. 
And in that same day, he's going to be glorified in his saints. And here's another scripture I'd like to point your attention to. Jude, verses 14 and 15. Jude is a single chapter. Jude 14 and 15. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So you need to have it you know, very clearly in your mind that the second coming is a time where Jesus comes in judgment with his saints. It's very clear in the scriptures. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all is what we read. And on the other hand, the rapture of the church is not Jesus coming with his saints in judgment, but it's Jesus coming for his saints. It's very clearly two different events, totally two different uh, events where the second coming is Jesus coming with his saints in judgment and the rapture of the church, which happens before the tribulation period, is Jesus coming for his saints. He's coming for his church. Now, turn real quick with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. You know, I ask you to turn there, uh, you know, just so you can be familiar, so you can see for yourself these things. These passages, uh, are need, they just need to be familiar with you. You need to have a firm grip on them and understand what they're saying. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I mean, this is the classic passage on the rapture. The Lord descending for his church. This is not a time of judgment. This is not a time uh, of Jesus descending with his church. This is a time where Jesus is descending, coming for his church. Now look at John 14. Flip over again to John 14. Uh, again, just so you know where it's at, just so you can be familiar with it. You know, this is another verse that we need to have full command of and understand. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Again, this is a classic passage regarding the rapture of the church. The rapture, unlike the second coming, is Jesus coming for his church. These two passages, uh, you know, you need to be familiar with. They're two classic passages that make it very clear that the rapture of the church is a totally different event from the second coming. The third thing I want you to see about the second coming is that the second coming of Jesus is immediately after the great tribulation. 
Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30. Verse 29, very clearly. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So I ask you, when will this take place? Immediately after the tribulation. You might want to underline it. Immediately after the tribulation. When does the rapture take place? The rapture takes place before the seven-year period known as the tribulation. Well, how do you know that? Again, we covered this uh, in, in depth a couple of weeks ago, the last time we were together in Matthew's Gospel. And, and, and if you've missed it, I, I'd encourage you again, go to the website, watch those studies, and so that you can have it firm in your mind so that it can make sense to you, right? I brought up six points in our last study, right? Hopefully some of you can remember them. I'll summarize them very briefly. But again, if you're interested, go to the website and, and watch that study again. The first reason we, we know that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation is right here, Matthew 24. Jesus tells the Jews of this abomination of desolation that's coming. He doesn't tell his church. He warns the Jews. Well, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't he warn the church? Does he not like the church? Why does he just warn the Jews? And the answer is because the church is not on the world scene at this time. The second reason why the church will not be here during the tribulation period is the book of Revelation, right? The very clear and simple outline of the book of Revelation. As you read the book of Revelation, you see Revelation chapter 1, you see the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? Chapters 2 and 3, you have the, the entire church age laid out prophetically for you. Chapter 4, you see the church caught up into heaven. John hears the voice like a trumpet, and John is caught up into heaven before the throne of God. Revelation 5, you see this group, uh, you know, uh, that can only be the church worshiping their before the throne. And then Revelation 6 through 19, you see God pouring out his wrath on planet earth during this period called the tribulation. And in Revelation 6 through 19, the church is not mentioned one time. The church is mentioned 19 times in Revelation chapter 1 through 3. But in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, during the tribulation period, you don't see the church mentioned one time. In fact, you don't read of the church again until Revelation 19 when the church returns with Jesus at his second coming. The third very powerful argument is Daniel's 70, 70 weeks prophecy. Right? We talked about it last time we were together. The church wasn't present during the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. And it only makes sense that the church will not be present during Daniel's 70th week. Right? The period of time known as the time of Jacob's trouble Jeremiah 30, verse 7, also known as the tribulation. Another powerful uh, argument is 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. We went over this uh, where God, uh, where it says that God's people are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the tribulation period? 
You know, it's the wrath of God being poured out on, the, on a Christ-rejecting world. And when you read the book of Revelation, you can't miss it. Over and over again in the book of Revelation, you read about the, the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. The fifth reason is the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's Luke 21, 36. And Jesus also said, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3.10. Again, that's a reference to the tribulation period. Both of these are very powerful promises from Jesus himself that the church will not go through uh, that time of tribulation. And the sixth reason, again, we covered uh, all these last time we were together in the Gospel of Matthew, but the sixth reason we covered was the teaching of the eminent return of Christ, right? Jesus taught, and the New Testament uh, teaches, you know, what's called the eminent return of Christ. Jesus said that we're to watch. We're to watch. Because we don't know the day nor the hour uh, when he's going to return. We're to be ready. The imminent return of Christ teaches that Jesus could return at any moment. And as believers, again, we should be ready for that. But if you believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation, then you're not looking for Jesus Christ. Uh, you're looking for the Antichrist because he has to come first onto the scene before Jesus can come return for his church. And then you're going to see, if you believe that, then the, the, in the middle of that tribulation period, the abomination of desolation has to occur. Then, at that point, you know, uh, finally at the end, Daniel tells us, he tells us the exact day when Christ will return. It's exactly three and a half years from the abomination of desolation to the return uh, of Jesus, right? So if you believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation period, you know, it, it doesn't line up with the teaching of Jesus or the teaching of the New Testament, right? It doesn't line up with the teaching that we should be ready, always looking for the eminent return of Jesus. But you know what? I'm not looking for the Antichrist. You know, that's not the next thing that's going to happen. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. We're to be looking for Jesus Christ coming for his church. That's the next event on God's prophetic calendar where the rapture takes place prior to the tribulation and the second coming of Christ happens when? Immediately following the tribulation, Matthew 24, 29. The fourth thing I want us to see this morning is that the second coming is going to be a time of mourning for all those who are upon the earth. Matthew 24, verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The earth is going to mourn. Revelation 1, 7 tells us, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. You know, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. 
Even so, amen. So the second coming will be a time of tremendous mourning on planet Earth. Not just the inhabitants of the Earth that are under the, you know, the judgment of God are going to be those that experience uh, you know, the mourning, not just those that are experiencing the wrath of God being poured out on them, but I think this is, is a very specific reference to the nation of Israel. Again, I just read it, Revelation 1-7, if you throw it up there I, again, it says, every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Not only will the earth be mourning, but Israel. They that pierced him. Israel's going to mourn. And Zechariah 12, 10 and 11 speaks prophetically of the nation of Israel, and it says that then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem. Again, Zechariah 13, 6 says, and one will say to him, where are these wounds in your hands? What are these wounds in your hands? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. In that day, we're told that the Jews are going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon them. And as Jesus said, they're going to call out to him saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Jews are going to recognize in that day, Jesus as their Messiah, right? And the Jews are going to mourn. They're going to mourn uh, as one who mourns for an only son. And then they're going to be grieved. They're going to be deeply grieved, right? They're going to look upon him whom they pierced. And they're going to realize that they rejected him as the Messiah in his first coming. Where did you get these terrible wounds? And he'll say, I received these wounds in the house of my friends. And they're going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And they're going to turn to Christ. And so where the second coming is going to be a time of mourning for those who dwell upon the earth, the rapture, on the other hand, again, two completely different events. But the rapture is not going to be a time of mourning at all, is it? I mean, is anybody here going to be bummed? when God takes them away from this place and takes them to heaven, right? Is anyone going to mourn the rapture when Jesus comes and takes his church to be with him? No way. You know what? The rapture is, is going to be a time of rejoicing. It's going to be a time of tremendous joy. It's going to be a time of comfort, a time of hope. Jesus is called in Scripture our blessed hope, Titus 2.13, and truly, our hope is in Jesus. Look at, look at those people that are leaders of our nation. You know what? I don't place much hope in any of them. You know what? I don't you know, have a lot of hope for our nation unless we get godly men and women into office. And even at that, you know what? The Bible says that the world is going to continue to decline. But honestly... I got to tell you, I don't experience a lot of comfort when I look at the news and listen to the leaders of our, of our day. You know, maybe you do. I don't. But as I look to the Lord, as I look to the time of his return, 
a time when he'll establish his righteous kingdom here on earth and he'll rule and reign in righteousness. Man, I look forward to that day when Jesus is going to return for his church. He is our blessed hope. You know, again, the classic passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, which we already looked at, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then Paul says this, verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture, man, it's a time of comfort, right? And again, Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, he said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Right? You know, the rapture, it's going to be this time of tremendous joy. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611 says. You know, and I can honestly tell you, man, I'm looking forward to that. Aren't you? Well, I heard one or two of you. I'm kind of worried about the rest of you. Yeah, amen. I'm looking forward to it. The rapture is a time of joy, a time of comfort. In contrast to, to the second coming, which will be a time of mourning. Now, we're left with verse 31, Matthew 24, 31. Verse 31 is one of the main scriptures used by people who think that the church will go through the tribulation period. This is one of the main scriptures they use. And you need to know what this verse is all about, Matthew 24, 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. There you have it, Pastor, right there. There it is, right? You have the tribulation period along with the second coming, right? That's, that's when the church is going to be caught up into heaven. There it is. Don't tell me any different. I, will, I can read it for myself. Verse 31, I see it. It's right there. And for those people who believe the church is going through the rapture, uh, going through the tribulation period, this is one of the main verses they turn to. But what is this verse talking about? Is verse 31 talking about the rapture? Well, let me ask you this. At the rapture, who's descending from heaven? Well, we've already read it a couple times. It's the Lord himself who will descend, right? He's coming for his bride. He's coming for his church. In reality, that's the beginning of the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the, the Lord returns for his church, for his bride. And by the way, just as a side note, it's interesting what uh, Alfred Edersheim says. He's one of the most foremost scholars um, of Jewish social life. Uh, he's written four volumes that are really great, should be in everybody's library. That's serious about learning about uh, the life and times of Jesus is one, uh, sketches of the Jewish social life is another. But um, he says, in regards to a Hebrew wedding, the bridegroom, right, is able to come at any moment within a designated period of time. Within that designated period of time, the bride has to be ready. She has to be ready at any moment. 
morning, midday, evening, even in the middle of the night, she has to be prepared and ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Then at a specific time, the father, the specific time only known to the father, tells his son to go and get his bride. And the bridegroom will come with his friends, right? And uh, they'll come with his friends. Uh, the bridegroom, they, they blow the trumpets and they cry out, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And the bride and her handmaids, right, they go out to meet the bridegroom. And then he takes his bride to his father's house where uh, there's a, a chamber prepared specifically for that new couple where they consummate the, the marriage. And Alfred Edersheim, he goes on to say uh, that the celebration then lasts for seven days. All the friends of the family, all the family from all around would come and, and they would feast and pray for seven days. And during the seven-day period, the groom and the new bride, you know, they would just spend intimate time together in their bridal chamber alone. The groom would come and go uh, from time to time, but the bride would never come out, not until the end of the seven days. And in their bridal chamber, he would just be pampered, right? You know, in those days, they didn't have Hilton's or Ritz-Carlton's. You know, whatever ends they had, they were expensive. So in those days, they would spend their honeymoon period in their father's house. And at the end of the seven days, the groom would come out into public again, but this time with his bride. This would be the first time that he was seen with his bride. And man, what an interesting parallel that is, because that's exactly what the scripture says is going to happen with the church. Jesus Christ is going to return for his bride. And he's not going to return to the earth, but his bride is going to go out and meet him in the air. And then he'll lead us into his father's house where there are many mansions, where we're going to enjoy a seven-year honeymoon period with the Lord, while back on earth, God's wrath is being poured out. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus will appear on the world scene again with his bride, right? clothed in fine white linen, his bride, the armies of heaven, we read. What a beautiful picture a Hebrew wedding is of what's going to happen. But at the rapture, we see that it's the Lord himself that will descend, coming for his bride. But here in verse 31, it's not the Lord who is descending, it's the angels who are sent out to gather the elect. So what we see here is a different event being described. Secondly, at the rapture, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. It's very specific there in 1 Thessalonians. But here in Matthew 24, 31, again, we see that it's not Jesus descending for his bride, but it's angels being sent out. And they're not sent out with the trumpet of God, but with a great sound of a trumpet. So it's even a different trumpet that's being described here. And then finally, in verse 31, we're told that they're going to gather together his elect from the four winds, you know, that means, you know, north, south, east, and west, uh, you know, every place under from one end of heaven to the other, every place on the face of the earth, they're going to be gathered together. And so the angels are going to go and gather the elect. Well, 
Who are the elect? I would suggest to you that it's talking about the Jewish people. And you might say, you know, I don't see how you can prove that. You could just as easily say that it's talking about the church. We're his elect also. And to that, I'd say, yeah, you could say that, except Jesus in verse 31 is quoting from three Old Testament passages. And those three Old Testament passages are not referring to the church. They're referring to the nation of Israel. Write these down. Deuteronomy 30, verse 3 and 4 says, The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. Isaiah 27, 12 and 13 says, and it shall come to pass in that day, you will be gathered one by one. O you children of Israel, so it shall be in that day. The great trumpet will be blown. Isaiah eleven twelve says, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah, of Israel, from the four corners of earth. So very clearly, Jesus is quoting from uh, these three Old Testament passages referring to the Jews. These promises are given to the nation of Israel. So what verse 31 is describing is not the rapture of the church, but a time where the Lord will send out his angels to gather the nation of Israel as they turn to him, as they recognize him as the Messiah, as they cry out to him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is going to send out his angels. He's going to gather them together. He's going to protect them. And then he's going to usher them into the millennial kingdom, that 1,000-year, literal 1,000-year reign of Christ here on the earth. And, and Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. That's our next study. So verse 31, it does not speak about the rapture. It's speaking about the second coming. So... I hope that as you look back over these verses, you have a clear understanding of the differences between the second coming and the rapture. And as you scan over your notes, you look at verse 27, and you see that the second coming is going to be a visible uh, event, a visible coming, where the rapture is going to be a secret snatching away of the church. In verse 28, you see the second coming is going to be coming in judgment right? Well, the rapture, on the other hand, is not going to be a coming in judgment with the saints. The rapture is going to be his coming before the judgment for his saints. And in verse 29, you see the second coming is immediately after the tribulation. And I hope you realize that the rapture is immediately before the tribulation. And in verse 30, you see that the second coming is going to be a time of tremendous mourning. And we, we realize, and our spirit witnesses to the fact that the rapture is going to be a time of joy and comfort. And finally, you can look back at verse 31, and I hope you can explain to someone who says, you know, that's not talking about the rapture. That verse is talking about the second coming. I hope you can say, no, let me show you what, what that verse is talking about. Let me show you why that's not what it's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, did I say that right? No. Opposite. Do over. That's not talking about the rapture. 
that's talking about the second coming. If somebody says that is talking about the rapture, you can say, no, it's not. Let me explain to you why. So I hope you have these two events uh, just, you know, clear in your mind. Just I hope it's just crystal clear for you. And, and again, you know, as we're studying this together, man, I mean, we can't help but realize we're living in an interesting time, right? You, you look at the things that are happening all around us here today, and you realize that it's just as Jesus said it would be prior to the returning, his return for his church. And you realize the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, where the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and we are going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with the Lord. <laughs> How I long for that. How I long for that. You know, Jesus said, Watch, therefore, be ready, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So Jesus said, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If the worship team would come forward, we'll just close our Bibles and lay them aside. We're going to uh, prepare to receive communion. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word and just how clearly it makes these two events. Lord, the rapture of the church. Lord, how I long for that. How I long to be caught up to see you face to face. To be done with the wrestlings of, of this tent and, and the, the, the illnesses that plague us. Lord, how I long to, to know as I've been known, Lord. God, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we pray that you would use us to share the good news of salvation with many.